Hello, hello, and welcome to Shoutbox. This is Chris Olson, and it's a beautiful Friday morning. We have in studio today Joshua L. Ishman, choreographer and dancer with the Deeply Rooted Dance Company. We're here to talk about the dance world and his personal experiences. And so, you know, Joshua, welcome to the program. Peace. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. We were talking just a little bit before the show about a lot of things. Just to start off with, one of the things that I have seen, I've had a chance to get to know Deeply Rooted over the past, you know, probably four or five years, meeting the, the artistic director, meeting other dancers, and, you know, meeting yourself in particular. And yeah, you know, I've, I've just been struck with the beauty of the company. You know, you guys are incredibly athletic. You hold a very high standard for how you express yourself through movement. And Thank you very much. Uh, it's, you know, it's just, I've always been very attractive. And you know, I've had the opportunity to also take class with the company, mm-hmm. which has been extremely you know, educational <laughs> and, and pushed me really hard. But, it's been uh, great having you. <laughs> thank you. One of the things that's been really interesting to me is I think all performing arts companies build a camaraderie. The bodies that are moving, I, I use an analogy, they're, they're kind of the paint. You know, the choreographer is kind mm-hmm. of the painter and the bodies mm-hmm. are kind of the paint. And being in the paint, that brings you very close. You have to trust each other. You have to work through this. You know, I feel like there's an extra level even with the deeply rooted organization, because I feel like it goes beyond even just the performers, that there's mm-hmm. there's a, a larger sense of community. I'd love to sort of hear how your experience was, how you came into deeply rooted and how that, you know, how that feels for you. Well, one thing that's always kind of frequenting uh, young dancers, because I started when I was really young, I was like eight. People usually have that one company or those series of like opportunities out there that are like, oh, that's my dream situation. Like, oh, I really want to be on Broadway or I really want to dance with Alvin Ailey and things of that nature. And I remember seeing Deeply Rooted in 2005 at the Harris Theater. And it was the first time anything dance wise had made me cry. And I'm not a crier at wow, all. That's really and so I was like, oh, that's it. Because I didn't know that dance could do that, even though I enjoyed doing it, even though I had been studying all these different forms, types, styles and techniques and all of that. I didn't know dance could affect a person that way. And so I was like, oh, that's it. I'm clear. That's where I want to go. And what also helped was I had peers that were studying with the company at the time in a very like a training company, second company type situation, as well as Iaga, Kevin Iaga, Jeff, Gary Abbott, and Dr. Elena DeAnderson, who were founders and leadership in the company, were coming to my high school in Gary, Indiana and teaching us. And so we were building these relationships and then to see that being produced by these people just kind of all made it make sense. And so from then on, I was really, really clear, like, that's where I want to go. That's how I want to study. That's the kind of dance I want to do. Fast forward some odd 14 years later, I've always just wanted to make sure that that's continued to be the case. And the space is, I think, I think the energy that you're tapping into is there's very little ego inside of all of it. And we're all really clear that at the end of the day, the work is what matters most. When you build that kind of camaraderie with people where you're like, we're, we're doing the work and the work is bigger than any personal feelings that you may have or the soreness that you feel that day or even just how difficult a piece is or that you may not care for that partic- the process of that particular piece, the work itself and the people all being really clear in, inside of their, their their joint pursuit of an apex standard, then we all we all can be family about. It. And you know, of course, you know, family argues, family don't get along all the time, but it is literally a thing of everyone's really clear about how you want to work. And then when new people come into the space, either they want to do that, or they get challenged by that high standard being held and that void of egotistical BS being in, being being in the room and you either 
cling to it or you're like, I don't want to work that hard. And you choose that you choose that life for yourself. And so it, it ends up being just this kind of um, this haven for honest and uh, epitomized self-actualization to exist. In any artistic endeavor, there is going to be, you know, some level of ego because it's, you know, I as an artist am, am wanting to express a certain thing. It's, it's the healthiness of that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the willingness to accept input from others and to get that guidance to add to that becomes a collective ego because now, now you guys are all working towards a common goal. Because mm-hmm. when, when I say ego, I don't necessarily mean completely void of it. That's impossible. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, I think egos, ego, ego void of humility is usually what drives people into, into detrimental space. That is the thing that struck me is that there is this sense of humility in, in a very amazing way because I'm seeing these athletes at the top of their game. They're so intelligent and they're you know working their body so hard, still wanting to make sure they can refine and still asking for that input and still getting guidance on how to position their their leg or their their hips to be able to, to mm-hmm. master that pose. You know, and that willingness to guide each other. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's so many people reach out to each other. How do you do this? Let me go through and do this. And that's that love, you know. They're really, mm-hmm. There's a sense of love you know, throughout the space when you guys are working. It'll always be a healthy space when everyone's clear that everyone in the room can dance, and no one in the room is that great. Everybody's contributing some level of just top tier dance, but everyone in here can grow. Everyone in here still has some way that they can still keep on honing their craft and fine-tuning their body, getting their stamina better, cleaning up their lines, et cetera. Like anything that's, you know, the physical aspect, uh, the mental, emotional, spiritual, like there's some dimension in which you can still grow. And we're all clear that we're all doing that. And so you can trust other people inside of their opinions or their perspective when you know it's not coming from a place to put you down because that you see them working on theirs. No one's working as if they aren't trying to grow as well. That's what I mean about that whole ego thing. Yeah, yeah. You can get into a lot of spaces where it gets into you get some power or because you're in the room, you think that you it and you think that you've arrived and all that and no one's there. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, I can I have enough confidence to know that I can do this. And I also have enough humility to go, yeah, this is what I'm still working on. One of the company leaders is Nicole Clark Springer. She's the artistic director now. Is she? Yes. That's phenomenal. You know, she, she does amazing work. Seeing how she guides the company and how she pushes the group is really impressive. You know, and I, I do know, you know, there have been a couple of times where I've seen her bring some fire, you mm-hmm. know, which I think is remarkable, but just it's sort of like truth bombs. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and, you know, as someone in the room and trying to, you know, just understand, I'm not going to be on the, you know, the big stage. That's not, you know, why I'm, I'm doing it, mm-hmm. but just, you know, trying to push as hard as I can for those who are trying to make a career out of this. This is a hard profession. Absolutely. And everyone wants to be on a, a very small number of stages in a very small number of companies, and more people keep coming into the field. To get that reminder that if you don't want to bring your leg that much more in alignment for this position, you know, there's someone who will, who will. who's standing right behind All the time. you. Yeah. And they're younger. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's a very good reality check. One of the hardest things about dance is that like any sport, you're pushing your body at full tilt for a very long time. You you want to make the most of every moment you have. Right. You, you said you've been dancing for a long time now, correct? Since you were eight? Did- Pretty much. I started out in uh, West African and musical theater and then got into more codified techniques of like ballet, jazz, etc., modern and all of that when I was like 12. 
and then did it through high school. How did you first find that when you were young? Well, my elementary school, Banneker Achievement Center in Gary, Indiana, had a dance troupe in which the local theater guild had just started, uh, Westside Theater Guild at Westside High School, directed by um, Mark Spencer, who's still directing. And Tony Washington Simpson, who was uh, my first dance teacher, she was starting the kids' group, and they did this West African welcoming dance called Funga that has like a whole song and dance. Even as a kid, I had all this like curiosity toward everything black, especially things involving Africa because it was just a foreign thing. And so I was in first grade, so I was about seven. And then they did that dance and it's funga, yeah, boy, yeah. And then like singing the song and everything. And I was just bright eyed and bushy tailed about it because I was like, what is happening? And then the next year, my, I saw the sign up sheet. I was like, I'm doing that. They're like, you should play basketball. I was like, nah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, because I've always been like a taller, lanky kid and all of that. The next year, I signed up. I did that dance. And there was like a whole situation with kids. You usually find that one kid who's like stronger. And, you know, that's charismatic and whatnot. You get them to lead the group. And so I saw the kid that did that the previous year, and I was like, I'm going to be that kid because I'm trying to, you know, run this. And then I was, and I yelled so hard, I lost my voice. <laughs> and, like, you're supposed to, like, yell, fun guy, to, like, tell them we're about to change the step. And I went, fun guy, and, like, voice left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, now they can't hear me. And uh, I, would, I, I was like, I had to, like, figure out another way to, like, tell them, hey, I'm about to change the step. It was it was it was an unfortunate situation, but um, that's seriously awesome. <laughs> but I I was I still had a ball, yeah. and that's why I was clear. I was like, once I got on stage and all of that, and my first musical was Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream. Oh, no kidding! Uh, back when Donnie Osmond was still doing okay. it in Canada, those two situations made me really clear the stage was home. Yeah, and you know to find that kind of thing when you're eight is is an enigma of a situation and so you're like oh man that like and from then on i stayed in it i took like a year and a half two years off because i got lazy with school and so grades went bad and i just wasn't near it anymore and it was the worst two years a few friends started going to the local performing arts school and so i was like let me audition for that i auditioned the audition was horrible uh due to male privilege i got in be very clear about that uh, I did not do well in the audition. I had all the energy. I was not flexible. I'm still not really that flexible. <laughs> uh, I couldn't touch my toes. I just, uh, I had a good sense of rhythm and I had all the energy. Yeah. But I knew nothing about nothing. <laughs> I had like fell, dang near busted the back of my head open, but like kept dancing. All the teachers except one was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> And then that one teacher like fought real hard for me. His name is Larry Brewer. I'm still grateful to him for to this day for that. Uh, but all the rest of the teachers was like, yeah, he ain't got it. <laughs> but that one saw the spark. That one that he he was like, come on, I, I, he's a guy. We need men. <laughs> and so male privilege kicked in. And then uh, I don't. I try not to flex my male privilege. But I was like, oh, it, it worked in my favor this time. <laughs> As, I, I don't mean to laugh at it because I understand where you're coming from. But you know, it, 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 I'm very glad for you. Oh that no, that I'm, I'm saying it jokingly. <laughs> I know it's it's not it's not something I should say, but it's it's, it's a thing of like I'm really aware of 
that was what got me yeah. through. Yeah, it was yeah. nothing. It was. It wasn't a sense of talent. It wasn't like anything else besides the fact that I was a guy and dance places need men most of the time, especially kids. That, you bring up a really good point because there are a lot of women in dance, and in, in many ways, you tell me. I mean, would you say that it, it is really that much more competitive for for women than men? Yes, because of the stigma surrounding dance, especially in the Western perspective, especially stateside. Dance gets looked at as an inherently womanly thing or a gender assigned female thing. Yeah. Right. And so with men, it, it gets frowned upon. It's all of these things that kind of go against it. And it's, every. Which is so bizarre. It is. Every environment kind of has a different perspective around it because, as far as the black community is concerned, and as far as like my own upbringing and whatnot, no one had issues with things like tap. People had some issues with uh, West African and whatnot, but it was more so on the like, I'm, this is where I, I get like completely blunt about yeah, this. Yeah, please. That more so had to do with generational brainwashing of self-hate to distance yourself away from anything that had to do with, with the continent. And so it wasn't necessarily a thing about dance. It was a thing of African gets looked at as uh, negatively primitive. And to distance yourself away from that because, you know, that that whole thing of uh, chattel slavery was a mental game. It It was physically brutal, but it was primarily mental. It was a thing of do not have any association with where you were because we need to make you into a new thing. And so it was more so that than it was like the fact of dancing. But ballet? Or anything that resembled ballet because there's not as much exposure inside of black communities and whatnot. There's no differentiation between ballet and modern and jazz. If you point your foot, they think it's ballet. Generally speaking, I'm not going to speak for everybody. The internet has made it a little more accessible, but not really. To be a young black cis straight male who was actively pursuing dance is a little bit different. And so then you have to go, you have to fight those stigmas. So then when I finally got into high school, for the majority of my high school tenure, there were seven men in the department and five of us were straight. We all really loved to dance. We all, you know, sucked it up as far as like trying to get out of the mind state of these negative tropes that get put onto it and whatnot. Trying to find camaraderie and friendship with the the young queer men that were a part of the department because they were going to be dealing with their own stuff outside of it. Not being that successful most of the time uh, just because we had our own hangups due to our own brainwashing yeah. and all of that. You're touching on a lot of just really, you know, fascinating things. There's there's a stigma uh, about the dance. There's the, the stigma about... About uh, men dancing, absolutely. About men dancing, yes, yes. Yeah. There's an extra layer that if you are cis male, you're not having to deal with then, you know, the issues of being queer and black, mm-hmm. you know, on, on top of that too, because that... But, that, that to, to, I'm not dealing with the issues of legitimately being queer. Yeah. But there are also the things the of perceptions. Uh, perceptions. Yeah. And so, you know, this common misconception that somehow putting on tights makes you attracted to men. Two things just don't have to do with each other. And even just putting negative perspectives on queerness in general. We could be here all day just unpacking yeah. that. And, yeah. and I am not I'm not the expert to, to no. talk on it, especially because I can only speak from a straight cis male yeah, perspective yeah. Yeah, yeah. in which I don't want to overstep bounds. Yeah. I can only say, you know, what my interactions and witnessings have been. Absolutely. Um, but there was all of that stuff to deal with. For those who are willing to uh, to see outside of normal tradition or what's mm-hmm. expected, uh, the art is a haven. 
mm-hmm. you know. And if I don't necessarily agree with what I'm being taught religiously, or if I don't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with what I'm being taught gender-wise, mm-hmm. if I don't necessarily, the the arts provides us a, a much more open space for that. And Absolutely. I think that that's one of the reasons why I I feel the people who are drawn to the arts. You know, are because not only am I am I wishing to express something, but in a lot of ways, I'm wishing to express myself. What, what's interesting then is that there are times in which, you know, I think people then associate those people who are drawn to it with the arts, as mm. opposed to realizing that the arts are this very inclusive, open environment. I, f- I feel as if, in my personal perspective, anyway, yeah. uh, the arts give you the freedom to learn about structure, but never be confined by it. And so it's a thing of most of, especially in Western education, it teaches you structure and to completely abide by it. It says two plus two equals four. Don't you ever dare ask us if it means something else. The arts goes, okay, what are the two things that you're adding? Two two of what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's let's go a little deeper. (laughs) And so it asks you to think about what else is going on. Right. And how did you get there and all of those things. And so it just helps to open all of that up. That's why, in, in the sense of not every, not every uh, rectangle is a square, but every square is a rectangle, it's that thing of the arts can feed academics. If you try to have academics void of art, then you, you make people very rigid. What, what the Western education system unfortunately perpetuates is that the arts are very unnecessary unless we can, and we being the greater powers that be, unless we can justify some of them. And that's even still loose because everything gets looked at as to pursue anything as an artist can only influence you as an artist. I know plenty of people who have studied dance that go on to become brilliant scientists. Yeah. And it's because their imaginations are allowed to run and they, they've, lear- they've learned how to live outside the box and they, to color outside the lines or even to color within the lines because you learn structure, but you learn how... You, you learn that structure doesn't have to restrain you. Precisely. <laughs> you know, yeah. you brought up a really good point about the the sort of educational system about, about the necessity of it. I think that you know, uh, to your point, the ability to imagine, the ability to to uh, to think of things differently, mm. is able to impact you throughout life and anything you should choose to pursue. Sure. What happens weirdly, as far as education is concerned, you learn to expand on your imagination when you're really young, and as soon as you get to about first grade, they're like, "Kill all of that." <laughs> now, <laughs> now let's <laughs> le- let's learn about history that is relevant. Yeah, let's learn about photosynthesis. You get to do all that while you're a kid, but then one through twelve, you're trying to destroy it. There's a way to implement it into a curriculum that can feed you long term. As opposed to you trying to rekindle it later on, being like, oh, yeah, I used to draw when I was six, but, you know, kind of lost hold. It's like, why? There is no part of society that doesn't involve art. This beautiful studio we're sitting in, somebody drew this. They used math to make measurements and, you know, figure out structurally how it can stand. But you had to have the imagination to go, yes, this shape makes sense for this booth. This shape makes sense for this mic. There's no part that doesn't involve art. My, my father's an architect. Okay. I know I got a lot from him, but I also know that one of the things I realized early on is I don't necessarily want to build buildings that have to stand up. What if it, you defied gravity a little bit? What if, you know, what if you could have a building that just stood on like, you know, one inch wide pediment and then was a thousand feet tall? You know, what hmm. would that be like? You know, and, and, and just being able to think through that, you know, open up a whole level of discourse. I at least through osmosis understood, yes, but if you want something to stand, you got to have a base for it. You want right. 
right. go through and do this. You know, if you look at, at the architecture of today, if you look at the sculpture of today, you know, the, the idea is, okay, I'm making this out of stone, but how can I make it out of stone in a way that doesn't look like it's actually made out of stone? Precisely. You know, even the, the classical sculptors, you know, how, how I can use marble, which is a hard, unyielding substance, look like flesh that's being pressed into and things like this. It's it's knowing the material and being the craftsman, but having the imagination to push it beyond. You know, pulling back to dance, I think it's the same thing. Is that there, there's like these these very codified movements, which mm-hmm. you know, to me as someone who didn't necessarily have formal training, I, I think they're beautiful. I sometimes want to try to recreate things because they they have a feeling for me. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole range of motion. That is just that, that beyond that. Mm-hmm. That that you know, humanity is capable of these amazing things, and it's these shapes and these forms that people invent. And as a choreographer, you know, I know that you play with designing the paint you, you, all, yes. all the time. You know, what I, I have a feeling, and I'm encoding this on a body. Mm-hmm. You know, and then moving that forward. If all you were doing was limiting yourself to the work that someone else had done before. You know, which uh, it would get stagnant. Yeah, yeah, and 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 by all means, I, I I completely agree with that. That that's that's of course what happens inside of building choreography and whatnot. Uh, you're building a feeling. You're trying to set a tone. You're trying to tell a story. What what have you? Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether or not you're trying to do it purely for physical aesthetics, or for narrative, or for uh, visual. You know, have you been able to make a career in the arts a reasonable endeavor financially, or has it been a struggle? Struggle is relative. There, there are struggle points. I think in the way that I pursue the arts has been fruitful, and do I think I could do more? Maybe it's a thing of I'm not poor. Uh, Dave Chappelle said this recently, uh, recently from a comedy special. He's saying his dad, his dad, um, a friend for him is like, you're not poor. You're broke. <laughs> Poor is a mentality. Yeah. <laughs> broke is right now. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, yeah, I could I could dig that. I do not necessarily think I'm poor, but I do know it's a thing of I manage my money heavily. That's the thing I, I, I see is that so many folks who are working in the arts are having to constantly carefully manage their finances mm-hmm. far more than someone who might be working a nine-to-five job. And it's because primarily I don't have cushion money. Disposable income is not something that frequently comes to me. Yeah, I am blessed by having particular teaching opportunities that are more financially viable. And if they were a bit more frequent, then yeah, I probably might be in a much better space. We all have different means that we're doing that. I have been blessed enough that I have done very few jobs outside of dance. This is this is not a nine-to-five thing either no i mean it can be if you know you're a college professor if you're if you're yeah if you're working on broadway or if you're doing a traveling show then yeah by all means if you're doing six seven shows a week you're probably making bank if you're on a cruise you're making bank if you're a college professor you're probably making (laughs) uh but it's as someone who's just in the field teaching occasionally does not have any college under my belt i personally can only do so much. Yeah. The need for funding of the arts, you know, is just of utmost importance, you mm-hmm. know, and I would love to see better ways for this to occur because, you know, again, to your point earlier, there are, you know, people cut back on, on arts. It's like, you know, well, should we cut from the football team or should we cut from the arts? Oh, we'll cut from the arts. We'll find a way to be able to make it happen. Mm-hmm. It starts in the schools, but it's, it's systemic in, in, in society too, is that people love to appreciate the arts. They want to see the pretty pictures. They want to see the, the, the right. beautiful dancers, you know, but somehow you have to compensate these people or they won't be able to do this art. The general perspectives around the arts is always as if its existence is inconsequential. Yeah. And which, again, feeds every part of society. What you'll get is situations like if you go to a doctor, when they hit you with that bill for $750 for one shot of insulin, sure, that is ridiculous. 
But beyond knowing that that's unjustified, you're not really going to question that beyond a certain point. If you ask a dancer to put on a 45-minute show and they ask for something as cheap as $750 for six people, production, costumes, etc., they don't consider all those things and they go, why would you need that much? I'm, I'm going to create a false equivalency and I'm just stating that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look at you know, the, the medical costs you were just saying, mm-hmm. you know, someone, someone sat down and, and created the drug that was able to then be used for this that then they patented and they, they spent years developing and doing trials and things like this. And so, yes, there's a high cost. Yes, it's perhaps way higher than it ever should need to be. Perhaps there's way too much profit in this. But people can look at that and go, well, yes, but someone invented this and they had to go through and do this and they should be compensated and yet if you look at the arts when a, a choreographer <laughs> is inventing a whole new story and right. inventing the movement and inventing the visuals for this you know gosh if they can make the same kind of money don't you think you should make two million dollars for this dance I mean and, it seems- and, and it's the thing of I don't necessarily consider that a complete false equivalency because I love people's need to get hardcore facts for things that are often disproved outside of physical manifestation. In other words, you get cancer patients who get better by feeling better, more than chemo ever got them, or even just changing a diet. It, it is a thing of you get someone who's been sick for five years, finally have a series of occurrences happen to them in which their mental state and emotional state get lifted by positive occurrences and positive feelings. Next thing you know, they make, a, they make medical breakthroughs. You go to a show, you were not expecting to have the experience that you had. It was not only positive, it was cathartic, it was therapeutic. It had all of these things that that influenced you. Next thing you know, the next day that you have, you are more productive. You have you establish better relationships with the people that you're dealing with. You have all of these positive things that go on with you, yet you don't attribute it to that positive occurrence that you just endured the day before. You go, oh, I'm just having a great day. The times I've been able to go into the studio before I have to start a work day and, and, and just move, mm-hmm. I, I afterward, I always tend to be really sharp and focused. And I, I you know, it's, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely made the connection on that. But dance is movement. Mm-hmm. It is more than that. But if you only look at this, your body is moving. You're having to think about this. You're having to, to connect these gestures together, and you're feeling along with these gestures, and you're trying to perfect things. There's this very holistic sensibility to this that, yes, you may need to do some emailing later. Yes, mm-hmm. you might need to be able to do some computer work later. Sure. Yes, you know. But having had that movement as part of your day and as part of your experience, or, or, or then drawing, or then painting, and then mm-hmm. speaking to your friends, and then hugging someone, you know, this is what humanity is supposed to be doing. <laughs> because you're, you're releasing endorphins, you're, like you serotonin levels most likely go up, your blood circulation is getting better so that your heart and your brain can function. It's all of these things in the same way that eating better helps your body to function better. Indulging in something that is mentally, physically, and most likely emotionally beneficial to you will help you to function better. In that same way that people go to yoga because they feel like the circulation is going to open them up to engage in their day. They do yoga at 6 a.m., it's the same thing in my in my world and humble perspective. With that in mind, first off, if someone wants to learn more about your work, mm-hmm. where can they go? Well, you can find me via Facebook and Instagram, okay. of course. Facebook, Joshua L. Ishman. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> you can just search Joshua Ishman because okay. my Instagram name is absurd. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's I underscore Floxanas and the Halo Pillificate. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I'll have to get that from you so I can put it on the, yes, on the show notes. That's awesome, though. <laughs> so, yes. You know, if someone wanted to help support the arts, do you have fundraising capabilities or does Deeply Rooted have fundraising? Absolutely. Uh, Deeply Rooted is a nonprofit. And so, by all means, you can find out how to be a part of our harvest group. You can find out how to be a part of our board. You can just be a funder if you want to. We have VIP tickets. But it, it is all those things. I also have my own production company called Production Colors, in which myself, my project manager, Justin Clark, and my creative partner, Sam Trump, runs. Sam Trump is a local musician who's a brilliant, 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 brilliant musical artist. By all means, searches music. He's amazing. And so we have a collective in which dancer friends of mine, we create work where we approach a variety of subjects and experiences through the lens of various colors. Our very first show was in 20, I want to say 15, at the Chicago Cultural Center. It was called A Soulful Experience. The spine of the show was derived from Jeffrey Goff, if I'm not mistaken, his name is, an author of Green Lantern comics. We took the spine from the Green Lantern series in which uh, all the Lantern cores have a color and an association to an emotion that's their source of their power. Wonderful. Uh, so like blue, hope, green, willpower, red rage, etc. And so we use that as a spine for de- developing a show to say, what does this emotion sound like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? That's awesome. And then we'll dress and light that work in that color. And that went really well. We broke every attendance record for Chicago Cultural Center's history. As far as free and paid performances, uh, no one has ever oversold the audience as, oh, awesome. as much as we did. The second show we just presented last year at the Museum of Contemporary Art for my Chicago Dance Makers Forum Lab Artist Award uh, called Redefining Black. We use the show to dismantle the negative perspectives uh, around uh, darkness and blackness as concepts b- before they ever become about the construct of race. If you use dark in any context, usually, the colloquially, darkness used in any context is negative until it becomes about darker-hued people and what kind of psychological um, bias that people think that they don't have. And so, you know, right. you say it's a dark time in my life or my goodness, that humor is really dark. Oh, that's a dark thing you said. But then it becomes about people in people are kind of convinced that it's compartmentalized but meanwhile darker cute people are the most uh, subjugated and ostracized in the world yeah that was what the show was built to uh, i didn't see unpack. that show I, I do you have it somewhere to see i i have it in the archive we have to find a way to free it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, go, the goal is always you know with funding we can we can put it back up we touched on a very small number of the things that we thought we were going to and yet we, we touched on some really brilliant mm-hmm. stuff and so i really appreciate you joining us today absolutely definitely give me all the names of your instagram and everything. Sure. that's why i have it for the show notes um and i hope that you'll be able to come back and visit with us again no problem can i say one more thing actually? oh absolutely something just came to mind yeah yeah we talk about the importance of the arts and we talk about why in particular live theater is necessary in the age of technology in which people are very glued to screens that you will never get the same experience through your screen that you get in live theater is imperative to the progression of the arts it is imperative it's somewhat still intact via musical artists but as far as live theater dance and plays musicals etc it's very different because people think that if i watch dance videos on my phone via instagram youtube vimeo etc that's the same as going to see it live and it's not it's the same it's the equivalent of i always ask people when's the last time you've had a heartfelt conversation via text message text message you going like, you leave too much to interpretation it 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 falls flat because you're not actually conversing with another person and it's the same way with dance in my humble opinion 
or live theater in general is the experience of being in the theater. Being in the theater, you get to involve yourself in the situation, which does not happen via your screen. So what you're saying is, is we should not bring it out of the archive. We should restage it so everyone can see it again. Precisely. <laughs> okay, so that even more reason, donate. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up because it's it, you know you're you're absolutely right. There's something about being able to same uh, same air as the performers that just changed the whole experience. Absolutely, Joshua. Again, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you. We here at Shoutbox would love to hear from you. So take a second to comment and rate today's program or send us questions, feedback, or any thoughts you might have at shoutbox at kaiharding.com. Today's program was recorded by Matt Sorrow at BAM Studios. The program was edited and mixed by Sven at Blue Box Studio. And our show's theme music was written and performed by Melody Jane Wachtel of the band This is a Stick Up. Thank you again for joining us. Have a wonderful two weeks, and we will see you soon.